The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Ka. There were a lot of players that shined in doubleheaders this week. On today's show, we will go over the injury notes and roster moves, highlight the best player performances from this past week, and later on, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Sam Lutz to talk about Brady Singer. But before we do that, John, how's it going? How was your week? Good. Uh, it's been fun kind of ramping up September, which is... You know, playoff baseball, both in fantasy leagues and also getting close to that time and, you know, real baseball and when these playoff races really start to solidify. And then at the same time, uh, we're recording this on Thursday night and it's the uh, uh, opening kickoff for the NFL. So football and baseball at the same time. It's pretty nice. Ah, see, I never keep track of that. I never know about the football season. I just don't follow it. So is this the point where it starts? Yep, yeah, first game of the season is today. So. so a lot of fantasy drafts are already done with for fantasy football and whatnot. I'm assuming they're all done. Yep, yeah, I basically did like three of them in the last week, not knowing a single thing because I've just been paying so much attention to baseball this season. So, yeah, I I haven't done super well in my baseball leagues, and I don't know if I'm going to do super well in my football leagues either. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you can know that you had fun in a fantasy season. Even though you didn't have success, at least it was a fun, full-length fantasy season. You got the full year, football, baseball, no shortened seasons, no nothing. So you got a full experience there. Right, exactly. And, you know, I get to still watch the Twins, hopefully, uh make it to the playoffs um so we'll see how that goes we're trying to not get swept by the yankees right now though in a four-game series so still holding on to hope that we win this last game it's still very possible the mets and the twins could face each other in the world series so i'm crossing my fingers for it yeah speaking of the mets what happened to that lead in the nl east hey we're still in the lead now we're good we're up (laughs) a game don't worry about it we're okay it was actually a meme and it was like the Will Smith meme with the slapping of Chris Rock. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. And it was Mr. Met slapping blooper saying, get, uh. <laughs> get the first place out your mouth. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like the meme. But, yeah, we just had three bad games in a row and everyone thought, like, the world was falling and collapsing. Mm-hmm. So, 
you hate to see that, and you obviously want to win all the games you can against the Pirates and the Nationals. They're not good teams, and we should be beating them. But right. hey, man, it's just like me in bowling. I always say this. I want to bowl against the best people in the league. I don't want to bowl mm-hmm. the guys with huge handicaps that aren't as good because the skill gap just doesn't motivate me as much as mm-hmm. I know when I'm playing against someone that is just as good, better, or a little bit worse than me because right. that elevates you. And I think the Mets, as you saw in the Dodgers series, it really mm-hmm. elevated them knowing that, hey, this is the best team in baseball. Let's show them what we got. And they took two or three. And, yeah, completely. And they're a team that is capable of doing that. So I just think that, you know, they got to their heads a little bit where they're like, hey, we're on a roll. These are easy teams. Let's go get them. And they just mm-hmm. didn't hit. And then they right. dominated in the doubleheader. They held the opposition, the Pirates, to one run over two games, and they scored a total Mm -hmm. of 15 runs between the two games. So I feel confident moving forward. Yeah, although, of course, you have to now deal with the fact that uh, apparently Jerry Seinfeld hates Timmy Trumpet. Really? I did not hear that. Yeah. Why? He he basically blamed the Mets slump on bringing Timmy Trumpet to the game. See, I would agree uh... with that. If Edwin Diaz (laughs) blew the save the night that they brought him in. Like, my dad and I were talking about that, where we're like, Thank God he got the save on three outs and there was no drama. Otherwise, it would have been the Timmy Trumpet curse and there would oh, be a whole thing. Yeah, it would have been blown out of proportion. So I was like, thank God that's over with. Now it can kind of die back down. So I don't yeah. know, Seinfeld, that's a little wild. But Seinfeld did some modeling for the clothing brand Kith and he looked pretty fire. So if anyone wants to see some really nice <laughs> streetwear pictures of Jerry Seinfeld, go on to the Kith Instagram and check that out for yourself because he looks pretty sick, not going to lie. <laughs> De- definitely what i want to see of course well i'm, I'm into fashion a little modeling, bit and i like streetwear yeah. so i'm big into seeing all that stuff and i like the brand kith shout out to ronnie feig but before we get into the injury notes and roster moves i'd like to remind all of you that you could follow our podcast on twitter at this week pl and you could send us your questions and comments to our email at this week at gmail.com if you want to ask about anything fantasy related be sure to write us an email or send us a tweet Fantasy playoffs are right around the corner, so make sure you get in those questions and we'll help you to the best of our ability. And lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, you know the drill. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and please... If it's available on whatever platform you're listening to us on, leave a five-star review. It helps us out a lot. It gets people to watch the show. So please make sure that you leave a five-star review. Anyways, moving on to the injury notes and roster moves. We start with Wander Franco of the Rays. He resumed his rehab assignment on Wednesday, September 7th. During a rehab game on Monday, Franco was forced to leave early due to renewed soreness in his surgically repaired right hand, but he seems to be okay now. He should only need a couple more rehab games before rejoining the team, so make sure you activate him once he's available. Brandon Lau of the Rays was activated from the 10-day IL on Wednesday, September 7th. He missed exactly 10 days with a right triceps contusion. Jorge Polanco of the Twins was placed on the 10-day IL on Saturday, September 3rd with left knee inflammation. This one hurts me. Max Scherzer of the Mets was placed on the 15-day IL on Wednesday, September 7th, retroactive to September 4th with left side irritation. Scherzer was pulled after five innings in his last start on Saturday against the Nationals. The injury was originally labeled as fatigue in his left oblique, which is the same oblique that he strained back in late May. He missed around seven weeks due to that injury, but the expectation is that Scherzer will be ready to return when first eligible this time around. Also for the Mets, which hurts just as bad, Starling Marte of the Mets is dealing with a partial, non-displaced fracture of his right middle finger. 
He's considered day-to-day, -day and the Mets believe that he won't require a trip on the IL, but keep an eye on Marte moving forward. You never know. He's very injury-prone as well, so he could very well land on the IL, but I'm hoping that he doesn't. John Carlos Stanton of the Yankees was held out of the lineup for both games of the doubleheader on Wednesday, September 7th against the Twins, and also on Thursday, September 8th. Stanton fouled the ball off of his foot in Monday's game and is still a bit sore. Consider him day-to-day -day for now. Anthony Rizzo of the Yankees was placed on the 10-day IL on Wednesday, September 7th, retroactive to September 4th with migraine headaches. The migraines may have been caused by an epidural injection to help his lingering back injuries, so hopefully they'll dissipate soon and he'll return once he's eligible too. DJ LeMahieu of the Yankees was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, September 8th, retroactive to September 5th with toe inflammation. That's such a weird one. You just have toe inflammation. That's like, ah, oh, my pinky toe, it's inflamed. Can't play. Yeah, it's like getting turf toe, but, yep. you know. <laughs> we just... always laugh at that. Me and my friends were like, you got turf toe and you're not going to play? Come on, man. Like... Right. I'm sure it actually hurts, but also, like, you got to be put, you need 10 days of rest for toe inflammation. Like, just. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's terrible, like you said. I'm sure it hurts and it's not fun, but just yeah. take two days off. Come on, you really need 10 <laughs> or 15 days. Come on now. Right, yeah. Luis Robert of the White Sox, who at this point, I am tired of mentioning. He's the new Chris Bryant on this list. I'm very oh, sorry, boy. everyone. We mention him every week. He didn't start on Wednesday due to a bruised left middle finger. X-rays came back negative, and the contusion is on the same hand that has been causing Robert issues this year. Just, I mean, when he's playing, put him in the lineup and just forget about him. I mean, Jesus, it's been so bad. I'm so disappointed on him, particularly. Michael Kopech of the White Sox was activated from the 15-day IL on Wednesday, September 7th. He was out due to a left knee strain, and in his return against the Mariners on Wednesday, he went 3.2 innings, had four strikeouts, gave up four runs, four hits, and two walks. Not a great return for Kopech, but at least he's healthy. Teoscar Hernandez of the Blue Jays was placed on the paternity list on Wednesday, September 7th, and is expected to rejoin the team on Saturday. Wilson Contreras of the Cubs was placed on the 10-day IL on Tuesday, September 6th, retroactive to September 3rd, with a left ankle sprain. He's scheduled to undergo an MRI soon, so more information to follow about that. Nick Castellanos of the Phillies was placed on the 10-day IL on Sunday, September 4th, with a right oblique strain. Vinny Pasquantino of the Royals will likely return later this week. He's expected to play in one final minor league rehab game before the club decides whether he's ready to return to the team. Pasquantino has been out since late August due to right shoulder discomfort. He may be back by Friday when you're listening to this, so keep an eye on Pasquantino if he's off of your IL spot. Jose Iglesias of the Rockies was placed on the 10-day IL on Tuesday, September 6th, retroactive to September 5th with a right-hand contusion. He had an MRI and it came back negative for any structural damage, so that's good, but he's going to miss 10 days. Juan Soto of the Padres was removed from Wednesday's game after being hit by a pitch in the third inning. Soto was drilled with a fastball in his back between his shoulders. There's currently no updates, but hopefully Soto is okay and won't miss any time, especially with the fantasy playoffs right around the corner. And last but not least, Freddy Peralta of the Brewers left his start on Thursday with a possible injury. It happened right before we started recording the podcast, so there isn't much information quite yet, but he left after issuing a walk and his velocity was noticeably down, so that's never good. But keep an eye on Peralta's status. There will likely be more information about it in the next few days. Any comments about this list, John? I'm just glad that Wander Franco is finally going to start seeing the field again. Yeah. Man, I've kind of, I've completely just forgotten that he was on some of my teams because he's just been on the IL for that long. Um, so it, it's good to see that he is potentially coming back soon. 
Yeah, he's been out for a while, and he honestly has been forgotten by me, too. I actually have no shares of Franco anywhere, but mm-hmm. I just forgot that, like, he is a top guy. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's really big that he's returning. So, yeah, definitely good for fantasy managers. He might not be a direct impact right away for your teams, mm-hmm. but I'm assuming he will. I mean, his capabilities are definitely worthy of contributing right now. He's just as big as, say, like a Corbin Carroll or a Gunnar Henderson contributing right now. So, Wander Franco right. could come back and maybe win you a championship, hopefully. Yeah, I, it's it's kind of funny because I feel like every time I hear about Wander Franco right now, it's it's in regards to like next year's draft, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Hey, I don't blame yeah. him because he's been out for so long. Right. So hopefully, hopefully he makes an impact uh, in the you know the last few weeks of the fantasy baseball season. And the Rays certainly need him as well. Oh yeah, that race is tightening up. So. Oh yeah, it's very exciting. That AL East is really really fun. Right, yeah. It's it's fun, too, because, I mean, it's mainly fun because the Yankees aren't running away with it. Yes, exactly. So it's exciting. Well, we're going to move on to our weekly performance recaps. And just as a reminder, we pretty much get all our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles over on the Pedro's website. You can check out the Batters Box and SP Roundup articles. They're incredible resources that you should be checking um, every day, basically just to see how players performed each day. And also, we just want to give a quick shout out to the weekend batter box article writers. We don't really get to talk about their contribution to this podcast a lot, but they are instrumental in helping us figure out what happened over the weekend. Uh, Ryan Amore, Kevin O'Brien, and Adam Howe, and of course, Nick Pollock for putting out the SP Roundup articles over the weekend as well. I love that. Big shout out to you guys. Keep doing great work. Yeah, awesome. And Kevin O'Brien actually was on the show a couple of months ago, so... Um, always good to kind of have those guys be writing these articles. And I was on uh, Adam's show as well. Well, there you go. Yeah. So it's uh pitchless is a, is a nice big family. So always fun to shout out these guys. Uh, starting on Friday, we want to start with Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles who went two for four with the two doubles and a run. We talked about the Orioles call up last weekend and he impressed in his first game in Camden Yards with two doubles. He's been pretty good as a major leaguer in those first few games with a hit in pretty much all of them, except two of them. Can't really predict anything from these performances, but good to see that the kid can handle the bigs. Definitely a guy to keep your eye out on next year. Uh, it's hard to say if he's going to make too much of an impact this year, uh, but he might be able to slot in, you know, in a in a flex spot or something like that if you have the space and you were able to pick him up in Fab. Tyron Taylor of the Brewers went three for five with a double, two homers, three runs, three RBIs, and a stolen base on Saturday. Taylor provided a signature game for Milwaukee, really showing off the potential in his bat as well as the speed. He's had really two two really good months this year. He had in May and July, he had over an 800 OPS in those two months. It was actually almost over 850, but I think in July it was like 849. So really close, really good months for him. But then in April, June, and August, he's had a sub 600 OPS, which is just really bad. Um, so we'll see how September turns out, you know, right now with this start, obviously it looks pretty good. Uh, the Brewers are definitely hoping for the good version of Taylor as they also push toward the playoffs in their kind of wild card race. And then Trevor Story of the Red Sox went through before with a double, a homer, a run and three RBIs on Sunday. Story has been mostly an afterthought for the past couple months due to the injury, as well as basically the Red Sox putting themselves out of contention of the playoffs. But his return from the aisle has been pretty solid with multiple multi-hit games and finally a homer on Sunday. In the 10 games that he's played since coming back from injury, he's been slashing 395, 439, 605, which are fairly unsustainable numbers. Also, it's just a 10-game sample. But it's a good sign that Story can still contribute at an all-star level next year. Yeah, I talked about Trevor Story, I think, last week. And it was just like disappointing how bad his season's been. He's been Mm -hmm. great as of late since he came back from the IL, but he's someone that I've always really loved. 
and thought that he just has unlimited potential. I mean, when he first got called up to the bigs, he was slugging home runs at Babe Ruth rates. It was oh, yeah. nuts. It was I remember an insane week. Yeah. 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 I remember picking him up that week for fantasy and across all my leagues, and he just dominated, dominated. He was carrying. Yep. He was incredible. Mm-hmm. And then Tyrone Taylor's been sneaky good, like sneaky good. He's been really good. And then Gunnar Henderson, of course, he's someone keep an eye out because he's looking really good. Yeah. Tyrone Taylor's like that one, like, number five outfielder that you have in your team that, like, all of a sudden does super well. Yep. Um, and basically, like, wins you a week. So Yeah, uh, definitely. But he can also very much lose you a week. So that's why yeah, he's course, the number five outfielder. Yeah. Moving on to pitchers, um, Alex Cobb of the Giants went seven innings with zero on runs, three hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Phillies. It's been a pretty up-and-down year for Cobb. He's posting the best FIP of his career, the best ERA mark since 2017, and one of the better strikeout rate seasons. Uh, but at the same time, he's got a negative win probability added, along with one of the worst BABIP years of his career. Uh, Friday's start was what we wanted to see out of Cobb. He got nine whips on the splitter. He got called strikes on the sinker and the curveball. Everything was just kind of working together for Cobb. And, yeah, that's kind of the thing with Cobb, because he followed it up with a dud against the Dodgers on Wednesday. So, um, yeah, at any point the, kind of in the rest of the season, Cobb is just going to be a guy that you're going to have to start if the matchup's nice. But if the matchup's not good, just forget it. Sit him. Don't bother. Um, that's just kind of been the story with Cobb this season. Dylan sees to the White Sox went nine innings, zero and runs, one hit and two walks and seven strikeouts against the Twins. Honestly, the story here has to be how the Twins managed to escape another no-hitter. They've survived Kershaw, Verlander, and now Cease. Uh, Cease was on one on Saturday. He had nine whips on the slider and an overall CSW of 32%. He stuck to the bread and butter with that slider four receiver combo. He only threw the curve nine times, so basically the other two pitches combined for yeah, 90% of his pitches. It worked out for 8.2 innings, except for Luisa Rise did not want to be a part of a no-hitter this season, apparently. So he's definitely in the running for the AL Cy Young Award. I think him and Verlander are kind of the front runners for that this year. Um, it seems crazy to think about because I remember talking about Cease at the beginning of the season. And, you know, we you know we were high on Cease, and we thought he was going to be a pretty good pitcher. But I don't think we thought that he was going to be putting up Cy Young-level uh, numbers. So good for Cease. And then Carlos Rodon of the Giants, six innings, zero earned runs, five hits, two walks, and ten strikeouts against the Phillies. Uh, can we be happy about the fact that Rodon is pitching gems in September? He has a 2.92 ERA, a 1.06 whip, and a 32% strikeout rate on the season. And it's a shame we're not going to be able to see him pitch in the playoffs. It's it's great that Rodon is durable. That was the big knock on him coming into this season, but he is still doing well in September. I personally wanted Rodon to be picked up by the Twins this offseason. He has a chance to opt out of his contract at the end of the season, which I think he will definitely do. It's looked like he's going to be destined for a good payday this coming offseason, and we'll see you know, what teams pick him up and um, if they're going to be able to manage him as well as the Giants have this season. So I'm going to save time here and only give one-word descriptions for each of these guys that sums up their whole year for me. Alex Cobb, disappointing. Dylan Cease, amazing. And Carlos Rodon, healthy which is yep. really cool. And Dylan sees really unfortunate about the no-hitter. I was shocked when they pitched to Luis Arise. I know that you <laughs> currently have a no-hitter and he hasn't gotten anything off of you, but just walk him and go to the next guy. He's literally the batting leader. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, and they were up 13-0 too, so it's like, you know, whatever. Yeah, put him just... on. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Make history. Crazy. And your twin just gets that... slaughtered with these pitching performances, man. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it... Yeah, it's unfortunate. But, you know, at least we're still in the running for the AL Central crown. So, Yep, that's all that matters. Much. But 
Moving on to Monday, September 5th, from the Batter's Box article, The Book of Bo Bichette by Mark Stubinger. We start with the title man, Bo Bichette of the Blue Jays. He went 6-for-10 with 3 home runs, 3 runs, and 7 RBI. Holy boly, what a day for Bichette. He had 6 hits across the doubleheader, including 3 home runs, which brings him over the 20 mark in home runs for the season. I'm someone that wasn't too high on Bichette coming into the season. Maybe it's because I'm salty that I traded him away in my home keeper league three years ago at a 22nd round value for three years, but that's besides the point. I just couldn't see myself investing a first or second round pick in a guy that wasn't totally proven, you know? Like, his 2021 season was nuts, hitting 29 homers and stealing 25 bags, but that to me feels like his absolute ceiling, which is an incredible fantasy asset, don't get me wrong, but I don't know, I just think that there's better guys in that area that he's going. He's 91st percentile in average exit velocity, 93rd percentile in hard hit percentage, so the advanced metrics back it up, but Bichette's slash line is 275, 318, 458 this year with 22 home runs, 9 stolen bases, 78 runs, and 80 RBI. It's solid, but it's not mind-blowing. It's not first-round caliber. He's got that upside, but he just didn't deliver on it, and that's kind of why I faded him. But he's really picked it up as of late, right in time for the fantasy playoffs, so I'm sure anybody who rosters Bo Bichette is happy about that. John, what do you think of Bo Bichette in general? Are you high on him? Do you really like him? I avoid him. I mean, I'll take him at a discount next year if he's in the fourth, fifth round. That's where I'd be interested, but not in the first two at least. Yeah, I, I remember going back to you know my all my baseball drafts, and it didn't make sense to me that Bo Bichette was like, in the running for the number one overall pick. Yeah, like, me neither, me, man. That made no sense. Like I saw, I saw so many articles where it's like, you know, here are six guys that you could consider for your number one pick, and Bobuchet's one of them. I'm like, he had one good year, one good right? year, like, and Trey Turner still exists. It's right. a better Bobuchet, <laughs> right? And like, I think the thing on Bo's side is that he's young, right? There's still room for him to get better. There's room for him to you know, become more of a complete player. I kind of agree, though, that like a 25-25 season feels like a ceiling thing for him. Right? That's what I um, think, too. I agree. Yeah. He hasn't shown any true, like, ability that he's going to be more of a power hitter. Um, and I think he's not necessarily going to be a guy who gets you, like, 30, 40 bags in a year, right? He's not. I don't think he's going to sacrifice one for the other, right? No, so it's definitely. Like, 25-25 is like, that's pretty good. Is that a first-round pick? Is that a you know, a top three pick. I, I don't, I don't know. It's nice, but I think there's other guys you could get that have better potential. Um, and, and can also like kind of guarantee that type of production, right? Like with Bo, I think we just didn't know if it was going to happen or not. And now that we have like two seasons actually of understanding what kind of player he is, I think that should help next season, you know, maybe tone down the hype a little bit. So for me, in general, like, first of all, Bobochet is 24 years old. So obviously, you know, your power is like at its prime between 27 and 29 or something like that. I remember reading. Mm -hmm. So he could get some more power, sure. And usually when you get older and as you put more seasons on your legs, you run less. So steals might go down. He's a younger right. kid with a lot of energy and he, he's pretty fast. So he'll probably run for a few more years for sure. But mm -hmm. once again, that ceiling 25-25, if you just want to backtrack it to someone like, let's say, Adolis Garcia. Now, Bo Bichette, mm -hmm. of course, is a shortstop, and Adolis Garcia is an outfielder. But right now, I feel like shortstop is more prominent in fantasy than outfield. I feel like outfield's weaker. So why would you draft Bo Bichette in the first 
10 picks with a 25-25 mm-hmm. ceiling when Adolis Garcia, who was essentially free, maybe 16th round or later, or even picked up off of wires in certain leagues, yeah. he has, just in comparison, 74 runs to Bichette's 78, 84 mm-hmm. RBI in comparison to Bo Bichette's 80, 22 mm-hmm. home runs, which is the same, and 23 stolen bases, which is 14 yep. more. Yep. 14 more stolen bases, same mm-hmm. amount of homers, four more RBI, four less runs, and the OBP is slightly worse. His OBP mm-hmm. is 318, and Garcia's is 293. And Garcia okay. was free, and Bichette is someone you might have took fifth overall. Right. That doesn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. That's where you look at it, and you're just seeing name value. Now, I get it. Bichette's young. He can still maybe have a 30-30 season. He is someone in an amazing lineup with a great amount of protection. And if he's leading off, you know, you got Vlad, you got Teoscar, you got a lot of good guys. Springer, lots of, you know, fantasy assets there as well. But to mm-hmm. me, I almost would even rather like Bobby Witt over Bo Bichette at this point. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, just, I don't know if I, I don't, don't know if it. I have an opinion on that, but yeah. I think the other thing too is that 2021 was also a weird season for the the Blue Jays in general, right? So it's like Yeah, they had a phenomenal offensive year. Right. So, I mean, he yeah, he's he was just part of that and yeah, I, I mean, the fact that he's hit 22 home runs this season, I think, is like a positive thing, right? It's like it shows that the power is truly there. Yep. The other thing, too, to know, we haven't we haven't talked about this really, but MLB just passed some rules, I believe, that are going to take place in next season or 2024. Yes. I, I haven't read up too much on it. Bigger bases are coming to the major yep. leagues. So maybe that increases the steals numbers. I, I don't know. But um, it could be interesting to see how that all changes. It increased the steals numbers in the minors by a lot. You see a lot mm-hmm. more stolen bases from guys in the minors. And that's a very good point as well. Hey, if the bags are like that and Bichette gets a little bit better with stolen bases, because I believe in 2021, he was 21 for 22 or 22 for 23 in stolen base attempts. Hmm. So he was really successful. And this year, he's 9 for 16, I believe. Sure. So yeah. that's not so, really a good success rate. So if they make the bags bigger and he's more successful like he was in 2021, maybe he runs more. And maybe then he's worth it. Right. He did. I mean, he's not even necessarily known for his speed. He only had, I mean, his his biggest number was 32 in AA in 2018. Okay. So it, it's not even that, like, his speed is, like, that much more mind-blowing. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm very interested to see how that changes. I know we we talked about that last week with some of these prospects coming up and how, like, these guys are getting, you know, ungodly steal numbers. You know, we had, what was it? Like, uh, Estuary uh, Ruiz. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How he had, like, an insane number of steals in the minors and, you know, he comes up to the majors and it's just like, eh, eh you're fast, but it, that doesn't really really mean anything. Right, it can't translate. But then you see like people like Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson also with inflated stolen base numbers in the minors and stuff. So yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see how those rule changes play in the game. I mean, it's just going to be really wild for fantasy to see. Like, imagine Trey Turner getting 100 stolen bases. I mean, he doesn't run as much as he did because he's, he's now right. batting third instead of leadoff. So just imagine those fast guys. Like, imagine Billy Hamilton just gets a job and steals 100 bags. <laughs> Like, well, yeah, I mean, Billy Hamilton does currently have a job with the Twins, but yeah. um, he hasn't been doing too hot. All right, quick, a little, little fun trivia question, and then we'll move on from okay. the shot. Where do you think he is in terms of sprint speed percentile? I have it open on Savant right now. Billy Hamilton? Uh, no, no, Boba Shett. Oh, okay. <laughs> Boba Shett, sprint speed. I'm going to say 60th percentile. You're close, 53%. Okay, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was just kind of trying to do some math in my head. I would believe he's around, yeah, the 50-60 range. So that makes sense. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> no. It doesn't it doesn't bode well for a guy who's supposed to be a 25-25 guy. Right? right. It doesn't bode well. <laughs> hey. Had to add that in. But anyways, that's enough of Bo. It's a good discussion, though, because this is a guy who is genuinely a disappointment this year. Because yeah. if you took him in the first round, first five or six picks, this guy's not been great. No. And he's definitely not been worth, worth that pick. Definitely not. And like I said, at a fifth, sixth round value next year, I might be interested. But mm-hmm. moving on to Anthony Santander of the Orioles. He went two for four with two home runs, two runs, and two RBI. This has been an incredible season for Santander. Career best numbers across the board. He's already set highs for home runs, runs, RBI, currently for OBP. Outfield has been a horrible position for fantasy this year, as I mentioned with the Bo Adolis Garcia comparison. Outfield's been really rough. But Santander has been one of the guys that have delivered and was essentially free. You got him off the waiver wire or in your last few rounds of your draft, so he's been really good. He's got a 255, 333, 466 slash line with 27 home runs, 67 runs, and 79 RBI. He's surprisingly 88th percentile in ex-WOBA and 86th percentile in ex-slugging. So if you pick Santander up, keep enjoying his fantastic production because he's been a ray of sunshine for those Orioles who are trying to make a playoff spot. Yeah, the other thing I will say about Santander is that he's a fantastic hitter to play with in MLB The Show. Oh, yeah, he's re- his swing is beautiful. He just hits homers, like, all day. It's, yeah. It's beautiful. He had a card, I believe, in 2021. I don't know if it was a Topps Now version of a card of his. That or... might have been the one that I had, yeah. Yeah, he was nasty. Like, his card was broken. <laughs> <laughs> Some guys, by the way, a little tip for all those MLB The Show players out there. I'm a big MLB The Show player as well. Sometimes the card stats really don't matter. It's more about the swing. Like Byron Buxton's swing in the game is cracked. Cracked. He's real good. So don't look too much into the stats and just find the guys with nice swings. But moving on to pitchers from the SP Roundup article, Brown Butter by Nick Pollock. Every pitcher except Andrew Heaney and Tyler Alexander pitched great on Monday. But we have to talk about the title boy, Hunter Brown of the Astros, who went six innings pitched, no earned runs, three hits, one walk, and five strikeouts against the Rangers. He only had eight whiffs, but a nice 30% CSW. What an excellent debut for Hunter Brown. He was locating a 98 mile per hour fastball with ease, tossing a 96 mile per hour slider and dropping a nasty curveball across the Rangers batting order. His command might be a little shaky, but he had an 11% walk rate in the minors, so I believe it'll get better as he gets his feet wet in the majors. He's an exciting young prospect that should definitely interest you for your drafts next season. I don't know how long he'll last in the majors right now because Verlander will return at some point, and I doubt he really sticks with the team because their rotation is kind of crowded right now, but Hunter Brown is a name to keep on your radar. And then Martin Perez of the Rangers went seven innings pitched, one earned run, six hits, one walk, and five strikeouts against the Astros. After a couple of struggling performances, Martin Perez got back to form against the Astros on Monday. His changeup was located perfectly down and away to right-handers, and the cutter was painting the corners beautifully. Perez has been mostly reliable all season with 10 wins, 19 quality starts, a 2.82 ERA, and a 1.22 whip with 149 strikeouts in 166 innings. He gets the Jays next, so that'll be a challenge, but the rest of his schedule isn't so bad except for the Yankees at the end. But, John, we had a bet, and the bet was, which please remind me, was it top 20 pitcher or top 30 pitcher? Top 30. Okay. If you guys don't know about the bet, I took the over for top 30, so I believe that he will be a top 30 pitcher by the end of the year, and John says otherwise. Right now, John, do you have a guess of where he is on a typical Yahoo standard starting pitching ranks? 
Oh boy. Um, he's probably somewhere stupid, like nineteen. I'll just tell you that the race is very close. If that will help you pick a number. Okay. I'll say he's a twenty twenty six. He is thirty six. Oh. So okay. right now he's out of it because he had a few bad outings in a row. But maybe if sure. he strings a few, he might get to thirty. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be I'm hilarious hoping... if he just like ends right at thirty. If he ends at thirty, I'll be so happy because we're both technically right, but I technically won. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I'll be I'll be happy with the thirtieth SP finish for Martin Perez. But hey, it's a great season for him. It's not going to happen again next year, most likely not. Hey, you never know. But you probably know. not happening against a one year. He's wonder. had this season before with the with the Twins in twenty nineteen. So. Yep. I mean that season it was it ended up being going poorly. He started out the season incredibly hot. It's the fact right. that he's been consistent this entire year, which is yeah. impressive. The fact that he's going to get twenty quality starts probably is just very impressive. I mean that's yeah wild. And then yeah. also shout out to Jose Suarez of the Angels, who we recommended for all of you to stream, and he dominated. Pat's on the back for us. He went seven innings, no earned runs, three hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Tigers. We told y'all just listen to us. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, the other two Orioles pitchers that we recommended in Austin Boff and Spencer Watkins, not too great. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually recommended them as streamers to some of my friends, and it was not pretty. So. Well, Jose Suarez was the one I was very confident in. I used him in multiple leagues, and it worked because that was just too easy. Yes, nice. Well, moving on to Tuesday, we started with the Mean Mr. Muncy article from Jim Chatterton. Uh, starting off with Max Muncy of the Dodgers, 3 for 4 with a double, 2 homers, 3 runs, and 3 RBIs on Tuesday. Look, he's he's slashing 192, 321, 381 on the season, right? However, since August, he's been slashing 268, 349, 571. Definitely a tale of two halves for Muncy's. He's had nine homers essentially in a month and, you know, five days. And all of his hits on Tuesday traveled over 300 feet. So he is hitting the ball hard and far. Needless to say, it looks like whatever bothered him during the majority of the season is gone now. And just in time for the Dodgers, but maybe not your fantasy teams. And we did have that long conversation about Boba Shett. I think we'll have maybe a little bit shorter conversation on Kyle Tucker, but I think just as interesting. He went 2 for 4 with two runs and two stolen bases on Tuesday. He showed off the speed. He got two bags. He currently has 24 homers and 22 steals on the season. He's continued to impress this year with a player page full of red. He's top 50 in homers, RBI, steal, slugging, strikeout rate, and ex-Woba. The walk rate's also been pretty solid, 10.3% right now. I'm curious, where do you put Tucker's draft stock? Is he end of the first round for you? Is he middle first round? Is he second round? How do you see Tucker in in kind of the whole draft realm right now? For me, all day long, second round pick. Second round pick. All day long. And, and you could take him end of the first, beginning of the second. You could debate that all day long. It's kind of useless in my opinion. I <laughs> think second round for sure. I mean, his numbers, I like to look at when I go into a draft is... What is this player going to give me over other players? First of all, outfield is weak, as we've mentioned countless times already. Outfield Mm -hmm. is not good. And Kyle Tucker provides stuff that not a lot of outfielders give you. Now, once again, it's hard to just compare everyone to Adolis Garcia, but Kyle Tucker has 62 runs, 24 homers, 88 RBI, 22 steals, and a 337 OBP. That's 40 Mm -hmm. higher than Garcia. Stolen bases are right there. More RBI, more homers, and slightly less runs but for Tucker I can see him because he's a young guy I can see him 
having a 30-30 season next season with 100 mm-hmm. runs, 100 RBI, and a 340-350 OBP and be worth a first-round value. So I'll take him all day long in the second because not only is the prospect pedigree there, not only is the lineup fantastic, not only does his skill set translate, not only is his baseball savant page all full of red, it all clicks. Everything, every box gets checked. So in my opinion, Tucker is worth that second-round pick. And like I said, you could take him in the spot number 12 at the end of the first round or whatnot. I think that there's some other guys now that are just too good to pass up on. I mean, you already have Judge, Jordan, probably. I don't know, maybe not Jordan because of the injury, but Judge, Jordan, you've got the obvious candidates, Harper, Trout, Betts. Just, there's so many good, talented guys in the first 10 picks that it's hard to put Tucker in that top 10. Sure. Yeah, I think for me, I was like looking through players. I'm like, is Tucker a top five outfielder right now for me? And I'm like... I think so. Yeah. I think he's in that conversation. If not, I think he's, I mean, I think he's, is a top five outfielder just looking at what he's contributing. Um, I think kind of this conversation actually begs the next question. Where do you put Odolis Garcia next year? So I really like Adolis Garcia. I'm not going to lie. And he's doing it again where he, he's not really falling off in the second half, but he's not as mm-hmm. strong as he was in the beginning, obviously. Yeah. But I would put Adolis Garcia genuinely in the seventh to eighth round range so you don't think that he's going to get better i i just i think he's this guy i think i can easily expect 20 homers 20 steals until i Uh don't see it anymore yeah and the thing is is i just think you know in an obp league his value takes a big hit in an average league his average is 248 which is okay i don't know what league average is off the top of my head right now Mm -hmm. but I would kind of value him wherever like Randy or Rosarena goes. I would take mm, Garcia yeah. around later. Yeah, because yeah, they're Garcia very similar. Is so, he's so f- not. I don't. I don't. I want to say he's frustrating because he's actually having a really, really solid year this year. Yeah, but it, it it's it is technically two consecutive years of data that we have now on Garcia yep. where he's done this thing exactly. So it, it's hard. It's hard to like legitimately say, Oh, he's not going to do it next year. Like there's definitely the chance that he does it next year. Yeah. Um, but like you mentioned, the ratios aren't exactly what you'd like them to be. He is kind of only contributing in, well, he's contributing RBIs as well, but you know, mainly homers and steals. That's why, that's why you're picking yeah. him up. Oh, definitely. That's the two main so, cat- categories. Right. So it's, it's a little tough to be like, all right, is Adolis Garcia like a, a you know a guy you draft in the first five rounds? I don't know. I, he, I feel like he's been consistent enough to maybe warrant that conversation, but I'd I'd be okay with passing on him, knowing that it might not work out because he's so hot and cold. Yeah, it just takes one season for him to be someone that's drafted in the sixth round to then someone that's not drafted at all, right? Like, yeah. it just takes one really horrible season for him, but that's two years in a row where he's given us 20-20, and at this point... Yep. I'll take him. But once again, mm-hmm. it's within, like, I'm not taking him in the first five rounds. I'm not. I don't care how sure. good his stats are. I just don't trust it as much as some of the other guys. My first five rounds, I want to be as much upside as stability. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't give me the stability that I want in a first five rounds guy. So sixth, seventh, right. eighth round, like I said, wherever Randy or Rosarena is taken, a round or two later. If I can get that value, I would rather mm-hmm. that than a Rosarena. Yeah, I actually think now thinking about it, I I think I like Odilis Garcia a lot in roto leagues. Yes, a hundred percent. I don't I don't love him in head to head because of very how hot and cold. cold he is. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. If you're in a roto league, I think it's like yeah, it, it totally makes sense to get him because you're going to get all those stats. Yep. At the end of the year, and, and you're not going to like put him on the bench. Kyle Tucker is, in terms of Yahoo standard league, 
Kyle Tucker is the fifth best outfielder on Yahoo. Okay. Well, it goes go. Judge, Mookie, Jordan, Soto, Tucker. And then it goes, by the way, Schwarber, J-Rod, mm-hmm. Randy Rosarena, and then Adolis Garcia. So huh, okay. Garcia is the ninth best outfielder, and Tucker is the fifth. I'm surprised that Soto is fourth, to be completely honest. I thought he'd be a little bit farther down the list. But that that OBP is nice. So Yeah, that, well, that's that. the thing. In OBP leagues, he's towards. I think he's probably fourth in OBP and then probably like seventh or eighth in average. Yeah, the counting stats have not been pretty. But now that he's with the Padres, I'm very happy about it. Oh, definitely. But yeah, I think Tucker, just to loop it back, I think he's a second-round pick. I see the upside there. I think he can give you first-round value. But just like Mm -hmm. Bichette, I don't want to take him in the first round with the hopes that he takes that next step like Bichette, and then he Mm -hmm. gives me worse numbers. That's why I'd rather take that gamble in the second. Sure. No, that makes sense. Well, moving on to pitchers uh, with the, and I said Hayden, what's going on, uh, article from Nick Pollock. Great reference there if you don't get it. Yep, great song. Um, yeah, lots of aces on this day. Beaver went, Woodruff went, Nola went. All were pretty solid. I want to focus on a couple of the pitchers, though, uh, starting with Jesus Lazardo with the Marlins. Seven innings, two in runs, four hits, two walks, and nine strikeouts against the Phillies. Man, the Phillies are just getting wrecked in this this week's article, this week's <laughs> podcast. Um this really should be one earned run because the second one came on a 50-50 catcher's interference call. We all know how accurate those calls have been this season. Um, lots of just head scratching with how to interpret the rule correctly. Um, but, you know, I digress. Early in the season, Luzardo was pretty much fastball curve heavy. But since his return from the IL, he's actually been using his sinker more. And I was like wondering, is that like a stat casting that's like incorrect where they're thinking it's a sinker? When I think it's like a fastball, you know, like, you know, is there any major difference? There is like some difference. There's about like three inches more of movement with the sinker. Um, the spin rate's actually very similar. Uh, but it, yeah, it looks like at least the Hazel Ozardo is relying on the sinker more in comparison to the four seamer in terms of which fastball he throws more. Um, on the season, he's increased that usage by 6%, which is not a small amount. The CSW has been a little bit higher, 26% as well. So it's basically he's throwing it more. It's more effective. The stuff was nasty on Tuesday. He got 19 whiffs total, 15 alone on the curve and the changeup combined. So, yeah, Lizardo's back. Um, he had, like, a couple of rocky starts when he came back from IL. But it's good to see that um, that he's looking healthy, that he's pitching well. No issues with the velocity. It's kind of back to that 96 mark that he was at. Not exactly like the 97, 98 we were seeing at the beginning of the season. But still exciting for Lizardo. And then Fran Valdez of the Astros went 6.2 innings, two earned runs, six hits, four walks, and 11 strikeouts against the Rangers. If you didn't know, this is actually Framber's 23rd straight quality start, which is insane. He did this with some nasty stuff, too. He got 25 whiffs, 37% CSW. Of course, this was a classic Framber start. It also came with 10 combined hits and walks, so not a great whip. Uh, but honestly, this season has been a revelation for Valdez, and it's a little crazy that he's having the best pitcher on his team thanks to some <laughs> guy called Justin Verlander. Yeah, I love Lizardo. I don't want to go too in-depth because we've already talked so much, but love Lizardo. Lizardo's amazing. I'm super high on him for next season. I was very high on him this season, and I'm considering keeping him in my homekeeper league in the last round because I really like him. I think he's going to be really good. And Framber, I mean, 23 straight quality starts. What? Insane. Yeah, Just absolutely monstrous. Incredible. For a guy who's like kind of known as like more of a ground ball pitcher, yep. like – it's it's also impressive that the start came with 11 strikeouts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus, just what a run from Framber. I think that might be an MLB record. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, it's kind of surprising how few stats are kept on quality starts. Right? So. Yeah, that's really strange. But moving on to Wednesday, September 7th, from the Batters Box article, we've got 
Oh my God, IKF. It's OMG IKF, but I wanted to emphasize a little bit more. By Dave Swan, we start with the title boy, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa of the Yankees. He went three for eight with a home run, three runs, five RBI, a walk, and two stolen bases. This was in a doubleheader, of course, but IKF really padded his stats. A couple steals, a homer, five ribbies. You love to see it. However, even with this performance, he's not really fantasy relevant in 12-team or fewer leagues. He's definitely relevant in 15-teamers or more because of that speed. He has a total of 18 stolen bases on the year so far. Of course, that's paired with only three home runs, which is the downside. But a 267 average is respectable, and 58 runs and 44 RBI will get the job done. He's just not very helpful for the average fantasy player. I'm sure most of you who listen to this podcast are in 10-team leagues, 18-team leagues, 12-team leagues, somewhere around there, and IKF just really isn't doing it for you in that kind of format. So, very good day, but... Don't run and go and pick up Isaiah Kiner-Falefa unless you need steals in a Roto League. Then Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks, another rookie that we mentioned last podcast like Gunnar Henderson. He went two for four with a double, a homer, one run, and one RBI. And there it is, Corbin Carroll's first major league home run. It came off of you, Darvish, as well, and he ain't no slouch, so it's pretty impressive. He also followed it up with a double in the seventh inning. Carroll has been off to a pretty solid start to his career, batting 281 with one homer and seven RBI. I'm just kind of shocked that we haven't seen any stolen bases yet. Carroll has next-level elite speed, and we haven't seen it in the stolen base department quite yet. It's only a matter of time, of course, but this guy is special, so I'm hoping that we start to see those steals tick up in the latter half of this season. And then just a couple of notes here. David Villar, or VR, of the Giants... He went 2-for-3 with 2 homers, 2 runs, 3 RBI, and a walk. He was called up by the Giants in July, but he was sent back down in August due to his 35% K rate. VR has cut the strikeout rate back to 16% and has put more balls in play, so if you're in a deeper league, 15-teamers or more, he might be a guy that you want to use. And hey, if he keeps this up and you're in your fantasy playoffs, maybe you just... Pick him up now, even in the shallower leagues. And then also shout out to Aaron Judge, who hit his 55th home run. Mike Trout, who hit his 33rd home run and has homered four straight days now. And Shohei Otani, who hit a homer, bringing his total to 33. All of them are just amazing. I just wanted to shout them out. Yeah, I don't have too much to add here. Only that, um, yeah, ICAF, it's, it was fun when he had catcher eligibility. Yes, that's when it was very um, important for fantasy. Right, because it's like where where else are you getting eighteen stolen bases unless yep. you have JT Real Muto, right? Who's right. like, it's there was like a fun stat in Real Muto, I think, where he's like thrown out as many guys as he's as many bases as he's stolen or something like That's that. That's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, unless your name is JT Real Muto, or I guess technically Dalton Varsho, um, yeah, there wasn't really a lot of use for for IKF, um, you know, beyond that. So uh, now that he's basically firmly a shortstop. Uh, yeah, he doesn't really have much more help for your fantasy teams. Yeah, definitely not. And sorry, David VR Villar, if I said your name wrong, I just want to throw that out there. Moving on to pitchers from the SP Roundup article, Beauty Varland by Nick Pollock. We have Chris Bassett of the Mets. He went seven innings, one earned run, five hits, one walk, and 10 strikeouts against the Pirates. That's a 32% CSW with 15 whiffs. The Mets had a doubleheader against the Pirates, and Bassett absolutely dominated them in the early game. Bassett's cutter had 10 out of 29 whiffs, which is absolutely filthy. Every year, Bassett is just a model of consistency. He pitched 161.1 innings this season with 153 strikeouts, 13 wins, 17 quality starts, a 3.24 ERA, and a 1.13 whip, which is right in line with his career averages. The ground ball percentage is actually 7% higher this season than it was last season, which is great to see. Nice to see more ground balls for Bassett. 
If you've rostered him this season, you have to be happy with what he's given you. He's a solid SP2, SP3, and you probably drafted him in like the SP3, SP4 range. So he's paid off greatly. And then, of course, I got to run it back with my Mets, Jacob DeGrom of the Mets. Went seven innings as well with no earned runs, three hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against those same Pirates in the night game of the doubleheader. We mentioned Bassett, of course, but have to talk about the night game and Jacob DeGrom, of course. It's the best pitcher in baseball doing best pitcher in baseball things. I loved Nick's comment on the SP Roundup. Throw a perfect game already. Sheesh. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah. That's all he wrote. He just didn't write anything else. That's all he wrote. But it sums up exactly what us Mets fans feel every time he takes the mound. If you acquired DeGrom on the cheap after he went down with an injury, it is paying off dividends for your fantasy playoff races. And if you just sat on him, if you drafted him early and you ended up putting him on your IL and just letting him sit there, He's coming back strong because he is back to his normal self. Yeah, I don't have too much to add here again. Uh, only that maybe the Mets have the scariest like one to three playoff rotation. In the playoffs, we are a force to be reckoned with. If yeah. DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett are all healthy, those three guys are going to lead us to a World Series. Right. And then you just have Edwin Diaz like finish the game off. So. That's the only problem is we have... Edwin Diaz at the end, which is dominant. We have DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett, which is dominant. But then that middle <laughs> is where we struggle. We have yeah, Adam Adovino. The not pretty. <laughs> yeah, we have Adam Adovino and a bunch of nobodies that are just, like, horrible. So, hopefully, right. all these guys can go eight innings and Diaz pitches every time. And we just run that out, that same model, every single time. Yeah, if only it was that easy. Right? I wish, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, moving on to Thursday's game, there are only seven games today, so not too much going on, unfortunately. Um, got a few highlights, though. Alex called the Nationals, uh, who, yeah, four for five with two runs, a double, a home run, and five RBIs. Uh, shout out to my fellow Minnesotan, Alex Call. He had a, he had a day as the nine-hole hitter for the Nationals. Hit a 3-1 shot in the ninth. Um, Call spent six years on the minors, bouncing around the White Sox and the Guardian organizations. Got claimed off waivers this season from the Nats, um, and so it's it's nice to see that he got his day uh, in the majors. Um, also, quick shout-out to Yadier Molina, who hit two homers today. Uh, he was feeling it. Um, I think there was like an interesting stat where uh, basically like this is like the record for Molino and Wayno for the record for starts made by a battery. Um, 324 games together, which is incredible. Um, wow. And Molina capped it off with two homers. So, uh, unfortunately, they lost. But, you know, um, it's, it's cool to see in terms of, you know, baseball stats and, and records. And I think that's one that's, you know, likely never going to be passed. So, right. good good for uh, good for Wayno and uh, Yachty. And then also, Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs went two for four with two runs, a double, a home run, and an RBI. Uh, he had a nice day at the plate today as the Reds and the Cubs were battling for possession of fourth place in the NL Central. <laughs> I actually spent a long time trying to think of like nice things to say about Suzuki. The reality is that he just hasn't matched the early season hype. He's been solid. He's been slashing 261, 335, 423. He's third in OPS among all outfielders with at least 300 plate appearances this year. Assuming he stays healthy next year, maybe he gets a 15-15 season. You know, I was kind of looking like how many players do that on a regular basis, right? So there's only 15 other players who currently have a 15-15 season. Oh, wow. Uh, so, you know, I think Suzuki maybe has some fantasy value next year. Obviously, he had he got a lot of games taken away from him this year because of injury. Um, just getting used to playing in the majors here in the United States. Uh, but... You know, there's some there's some hope for Suzuki that he becomes fantasy relevant next year. 
Um, I just think that right now he's not really a guy that you have to target as like a, someone you have to pick up. Yeah, I can see Suzuki being good. And I can't really say that for every player that comes over from Japan, like Shogo Akiyama, mm -hmm. for instance. <laughs> yeah, he sure. had a lot of hype and then did nothing. And I couldn't see a path to being good, especially for fantasy. But for Seiya, I can clearly see it. You know, like the 335 OBP is really good. That's actually yep. pretty good for uh, a guy who's just coming to the majors. So I can see a path where this guy is a very good fantasy outfielder. So yeah, if he goes... I think he can go 2015 or 2515 in like a best case scenario. Mm -hmm. And if you're drafting him really late in your drafts, that's phenomenal. And then Alex Call, hey, great game. Don't know who you are, but great game. Right, exactly. Uh, and the thing about Suzuki that's interesting too, it's like I was looking up his, his Japan stats, which you I mean like, you know, for most people, I think they equate it's like AAA stats, more yeah. or less. And that's kind of the quality. It's like of in play. between AAA and majors. Right, yeah. So he slashed 315, 414, 570. With an OPS of of nine eighty five, so it's like, you know, he's he's basically, he basically batted at an MVP level for right. nine seasons in Japan. Sheesh. So it's like you bring that guy to the U.S. Like, you kind of expect he's not going to be hitting that right. Um, but I think the OPB skill has shown off this year a little bit. That slugging is is not bad. Four twenty three is not bad. So, right. um. Yeah, I think there's definitely there's definitely a reason to pick him up. The only other thing, it's not really in a knock against Suzuki, is that he is like you know 27, he'll be 28 next year. Right. He might have probably reached his peak already. Um, so if redraft leagues, that doesn't really matter. If you had him in a dynasty league, though, eh, maybe 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 see if he can move on and and try to get someone else. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Suzuki can be good. Like I said, I, th I think that it's in the cards for him. He's showing some really good skills already. And I think once he has one year under his belt, he'll only get better. And hopefully he'll stay healthy a whole season because obviously he was hindered by injuries. And then before yep. you get into the pitchers as well, I just wanted to note this. While we're recording this podcast, like we mentioned, it's Thursday night. But it's the second inning of the White Sox Athletics game. And Yoan Moncada oh, already yeah. has two home runs. So just wanted to point that out there. So Yeah. Oh, man. Unfortunate for J.P. Sears, man. <laughs> yeah, he's getting kind of killed. Yeah, uh, he's given up three homers tonight. And, yep, um, one to Elvis Andrews, so that's how his night's going. Right, exactly. And so uh, if you read Ben Pernick's buy and sell article today, you'd have seen that Elvis Andrews was a pickup in uh, 15-teamers, so maybe you got him. There we'll you see. go. Well, moving on to pitchers, uh, Corbin Burns of the Brewers, eight innings, three hits, one earned run, 14 strikeouts, geez, against the Giants. He pretty much had three terrible outings. Four, if you count his kind of almost quality start versus the Dodgers on the 18th of August. It was like 5.2 innings, three end runs, which is kind of uncharacteristic for Burns. Um, he came back with a vengeance, and the Giants were the unlucky recipients of his wrath. His cutter alone, okay, accounted for 19 called strikes and 12 whiffs, which are numbers that most pitchers fail to reach most nights. Like, he had one pitch alone that was just destroying the Giants. Wow. His overall CSW was a staggering 49%. All his velocities were up as well, like by like a tick and a half, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> he must have been just like super on some adrenaline because, yeah, he was dominating uh, tonight. Um, yeah, so SP1 is back and ready to go for the final playoff push. Uh, it's good to see Burns turn the ship around because those were a dicey couple weeks. And then Sonny Grave, the Twins, six innings, seven hits, two in runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Yankees. Gray has had a fairly middling season this year. Not too good, not too bad. His peel player page is full of basically light red. So it's like he's done enough to keep the Twins in games, but not enough to just completely dominate and put the game away. 
Seven strikeouts is nice, especially with a 48% CSW and 21 curveballs thrown, but you don't love the high whip as well. I think you'll take only giving up two earned runs to the Yankees, right? A, a quality start against the Yankees is never a guaranteed thing. Um, it's even even while they're in a slump, right? Basically, Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton can just destroy your dreams in, in two swings of the bat. So, uh, you know, good to see for Sonny Gray uh, taking care of business against uh, actually one of his former teams. Yeah, Burns returning to form is excellent, especially for those who have him and are towards the playoffs because you were kind of probably nervous about him after the last three outings. You're like, uh-oh, is yeah. this guy going to you know, make it? <laughs> yeah, is this like Hater 2.0 or something like that? Right, yeah, you'd be asking yourself so many questions. I don't have any shares of Burns, unfortunately, but Burns has been dominant this year. He had three bad outings, and he is back. I mean, this performance is nuts. Eight innings, 14 strikeouts versus the Giants. It's crazy. And then Sonny Gray, I'm still high on this guy. I really like him, and I, I really think he's good. But, yeah, he's just been middling, like you said. Mm -hmm. But now we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Sam Lutz to talk about Brady Singer. Stay tuned. All right, we're back and joined by pitcherless writer Sam Lutz to go over his article, Brady Singer, Ace or Wild Card. Sam, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back again. Our pleasure. Glad to see you on the show. What's been new with you? Anything exciting in the baseball world for you? Uh, not too much. We're heading into fantasy baseball playoffs here, so that's pretty exciting. I'm uh, paying close attention to Carlos Rodon tonight. He means a lot to me. Okay. Uh, but other than that, my local team, uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, is just looking forward towards next year. O'Neill Cruz <laughs> is looking pretty good. He's been heating up. Oh, he's he's on fire. What, four balls hit over 113 a couple games ago? Yeah, and he's finally getting multi-hit games. That's what I was waiting for because he was always going one for four, one for three, one for five. He's finally getting those extra base hits, and it's awesome just to see them piling up two for five games, two for three, two for four. It's great to see. I think the, the move to the leadoff spot has been key because he's yes. getting more opportunities. He's seeing more pitches, and it should change his approach to more of an on-base style of at-bat, which he needs. The power is going to be there. Uh, he just needs to get chances to hit the ball more often. Completely agree on that. Well, yeah, and moving off O'Neill Cruz, uh, we're going to talk about Brady Singer today. Uh, Sam, you came out with an article about maybe a week ago on Brady Singer. Um, yeah, who's really made an impact in August, uh, really just July and August, to be honest. Um, like yeah. you mentioned in the article, an ERA of 2.14, whip of you know 1.08, just basically just some absolute ace numbers there. Uh, one of the things you keyed in on the article, though, which I thought was interesting, was uh, you know all these racials are going down based over the last three years from 2020 to 2022, but his hard hit rate, the barrel percentage, and his average exit velocity, which are all kind of metrics you think that you know would define how hittable of a pitcher you are and how you know how your ERA might be going up, all that's actually gone up in the last three years. Um, do you think that's just a product of a change that Singer made to his pitch mix? or his mechanics, or is it just kind of better scouting from other teams knowing what Singer can throw now? Well, one of the things I, I really hit on in the article is that there's been no change to his pitch mix. He's still throwing sinker, slider. He's got the change up up to something like 8% of the time, but that's still virtually never, and it's not a very effective pitch to begin with. So it's still more than 90% those two pitches. Mm -hmm. And neither pitch is particularly good at moving. Uh they both get the low average drop, and the sinker even gets below average horizontal movement. But one thing that he is doing is he's throwing both for strikes more often. 
So he's gone from about 54% of the time in the zone with the sinker last year all the way up to 57%. And the slider's gone from about 39% up to 43% of the time in the zone, uh, which both is going to help the walk rate. It's helped his CSW because he is getting the cold strikes. But also he's getting hit a lot harder than he was before, probably because it's just more balls to hit. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Uh, it seems to be working out, though, right, with that kind of lower ERA and even lower whip. Like, they might be hitting the ball harder, but maybe it's not, you know, dropping for hits or things like that. So I mean, I'm going to grant that it's been working for two months, but True. Yeah. That, coming into the start of July, he wasn't looking so hot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Brady Singer has a 3.38 ERA as of right now, and last year in the Roughly same amount of innings. It's really close. He had 128.1 innings pitched last season and 127.2 right now. So very comparable. And he has a 3.38 ERA right now and had a 4.91 ERA last season. And last season, his whip was 1.55. And right now it's 1.1. And believe it or not, which is kind of weird seeing it, he's actually given up two more home runs this year than last year. Yeah, and that's strange. I mean, it... The, the more home runs isn't surprising because he's also allowed 29 barrels this year compared to just 22 barrels in, like you said, the same number of innings last ah, year. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, his strikeouts went down a little bit this season. Barely recognizable, though. It's 131 and 128 to 125 and 127, so pretty pretty close. But, yeah, I like yeah, Brady Singer a lot. rate is better this season, too. Right, yeah. I mean, I like Brady Singer a lot this season and moving forward, and we'll get to some comparisons a little bit later on. But back in March, Steven Giangas Pro had an article also on Singer that emphasized he should be adding a third pitch, the changeup, into his arsenal. His changeup is ticked up a tiny bit to 8%, but it's essentially not there. Do you think Singer can continue to be successful in his career with this two-pitch mix, or does he need to incorporate that third pitch? I mean, I agree. I think he needs a third pitch. And this is something that we see with a lot of guys who only throw two pitches. Uh, there, there are players out there like a, a Christian Javier who throws two pitches virtually the same amount of the time, but his get a little bit more movement on them. Or even a guy like Dylan Cease is pretty much a fastball slider guy. But his slider is just absolutely ridiculous and has been the most valuable pitch in baseball by a wide margin this, this season as well. Mm -hmm. And Singer just doesn't have that single elite pitch that even somebody like a Joe Ryan who only throws two pitches can rely on. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, why doesn't he just try to be like DeGrom, who's essentially a two-pitch pitcher, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, if he could throw 103 <laughs> and, you know, let a guy on base every other inning, then I think he'd be a little bit uh, better. Yeah, maybe just a little bit more movement on the slider and whatnot, you know? <laughs> just 93-mile-per-hour yeah, slider. Yeah, Kansas City might be competing for a division title if that was the case. That would be incredible. <laughs> well, actually not, because I'm a big Royals hater due to the World Series in 2015. But that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if only it was as easy as, well, why don't you just be like DeGrom? Yeah, right? that's, why doesn't every pitcher just do that? They just have to throw it hard, and I don't know, it just seems easy, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, everybody should wait till their late 20s to convert to pitching, too, really save yeah. the arm. Start as a right. shortstop, everybody, and then just be a pitcher, yeah. <laughs> that's the that's that's strategy right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I guess, you know, talking a little bit more about this, this sinker-slider combo that Singer has, right? So, like you mentioned, it's kind of below-average movement below average everything in terms of just like how the pitch actually functions but then it's been working the last few months right um what has made it so effective in the last few months that it's been doing this this well uh you know the, the weird thing about that i actually if i can find my notes here i've got comparison 
through June, he had a 433 ERA and a 1.15 whip. From the beginning of July until right now, that includes the last two games, which haven't been quite as good, he's at a 2.69 ERA and a 1.18 whip. So he's actually allowing more base runners now than he was over the beginning of the season. Wow. And he managed uh, nine home runs allowed over the first 54 innings and only seven home runs allowed over the last 73.2 innings. So it seems to be a lot of this is home run luck. He's even actually walking oh. more batters per strikeout now. Uh, he had 49 Ks to 10 walks over those first uh, two months of the season, and he's down to 76 Ks to 20 walks uh, since the start of July. So that's almost 5 Ks per walk to now below 4 Ks per walk. Huh. Not not to put you on the spot, but do you know how his like, BABIP or his FIP have changed? Since those in those two kind of time periods, I don't have a, the two based on just those two time periods in front of me right now. But his FIP has it's ballooned up over the last couple of starts. It was sitting closer to three and a half uh, before the last two, and it's sitting right around four at this point. And his XERA is about the same. XFIP is a little bit better, but XFIP leans really heavily on strikeouts and walks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his FIP right now is three point seven zero. His FIP last year was 4.04, and the year before that was 4.08. So, I mean, that's, that's showing that he's improved somewhat. And yep. he is throwing more strikes, and he's walking people uh, at, at a much better rate than he has in the past. Mm-hmm. But it, it still looks like there's a lot of luck involved in how low his ERA is right now. And that's not to say he's a bad pitcher, but right. it, I, I do think he is somebody who's going to have an ERA closer to four than to three. Right. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I would love to point out the fact that Sam said, let me check my notes, and you physically heard a paper being lifted up, and it wasn't online. <laughs> that was awesome, and I love that so much. I have both, but it is, uh, it's troublesome going through the, the pictureless pages or the baseball savant pages real quick on oh, the yeah. computer while doing this. I completely agree. So I guess going back to the pitches then, like, all right, what makes them work then, right? How is he succeeding with just these two pitches? I mean, like I said, a lot of it right now is luck. He's really he's hmm. not doing things in an elite way. It's very difficult to have an ERA of two six nine uh, if your WHIP is a, is above one point one. Sure, you're, yeah. You're just letting up too many people. So mostly, what he's doing well is keeping the ball in the park. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's that's kind of interesting in terms of kind of future outlook, right? I mean, luck only can take you so far, and uh, it's not like he's in a park that has massive dimensions like I, i'm not sure what kaufman's uh uh run totals are compared to the rest of the league but it's not as weird of an outlier as like say pitching in comerica or or t-mobile park i'm sure no kansas city does have a pretty solid defense though that's true yeah, yeah. Not there, there's not too many bat only type players in, mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. organization right yeah i know and you know that i know there has been some talk recently about you know, Bobby Witt Jr. at third, is that going to be his final position or even at shortstop? But um, he's, yeah, he's definitely impressed at third base, at least defensively speaking, this year as well. So, um, yeah, and whether they bring back Mondesi next year is really up in the air. Yeah. Mm, yep. True. He wasn't a bad defender, though, right? Mondesi? Not too bad at third, I think. Okay. I think shortstop. he's pretty good, but he hasn't, he hasn't played that many innings over the last couple of years to really get much of a handle. Yeah, it's hard to get a draw on five innings across three years. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. I don't know what kind of player he's going to come back to with the repeated injuries like this. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, it might it might be forced to actually have to move Wit back to shortstop because Mondesi can't make those plays anymore. And the... also because yeah, Hunter Dozier can fill in at third, and there's some other people that could play third rather than short. So, mm -hmm. but you said Brady Singer has been getting lucky so far this season. Now let's see if you would take Brady Singer over a few other guys in our favorite game of Would You Rather This Pitcher or This Other Pitcher for both rest of season. And for maybe a little bit way too early draft predictions on where you would take these guys. So, first, we will start with, would you rather Brady Singer or Alex Cobb for the rest of the season? We'll start with Sam. What do you think? Rest of the season, I'm definitely going to take Brady Singer over Cobb. Uh, Cobb has been really hit or miss. Uh, he missed pretty badly last night. Uh, even though most of the damage was one home run, he had uh, people on base all night long. And Singer's actually got a bit of an easier schedule. I think he plays Detroit with both of his next two outings, which could be really helpful. Yep. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, When you just compare kind of the rest of the season schedule, I'd rather not be the guy that faces the Dodgers and the Padres on a regular basis. Um, I'd rather have the guy that faces, you know, Detroit and the White Sox and like even Minnesota. Oh, and Cobb's and next outing is against Atlanta too, and they're terrifying. Yep. Right yep. They're definitely on a tear right now. So, yeah, I think... I think I take Singer in that situation. I am also going to take Brady Singer, and I thought I was going to take Cobb. Not going to lie. I really thought I was going to take Cobb, but Brady Singer's schedule, once again, we're at the fantasy playoff time period. So if Cobb's not doing it for you and his schedule is worse for the next two weeks, you can't be going out with him. You have to go with Brady Singer. So I would say Brady Singer. I really like Cobb for next season. I liked him coming into this season. He's been a huge disappointment every time he's been on my radar. So kind of unfortunate, <laughs> but uh, I will definitely take Brady Singer in this scenario. I agree about being oh. big on Cobb coming into the season too. That move to San Francisco, I thought was going to be gangbusters. Yeah, game. me too. Same with Alex Wood and Alex Wood's been less bad than Cobb, but him too. I was so high on him and he's just like let me down every time I've rostered him. Yeah. I think part of it is that I, a lot of people overvalued the Giants defense yes. coming into the season. Um, and yeah, they've been basically just below average. This well, season. I've learned my lesson. The San Francisco Giants are good with pitchers as long as they're not named Alex. So that's what we're avoiding <laughs> moving forward. Okay. That's the lesson that's clearly, you can take from this podcast. Clearly, yeah, clearly what's going on. Yeah, it has here. nothing to do with pitching ability or pitch mixes or skills or anything. It's just Alex. If their name yeah. is Alex, avoid San Francisco <laughs> Giants pitchers named Alex. <laughs> moving on to the next comparison. Would you rather Brady Singer rest of season or would you rather Jamison Tyone of the Yankees? Sam, what do you think? I've been going back and forth on this one uh, for a while because I'm a big Jamison Tyon fan. Ooh. And except for one quick uh, two-inning outing that he had, and then he got yanked the other day, he's actually been pretty good over the last month and a half. But the Yankees have been terrible, and they're giving him very little run support right now. So even though I would have thought that you know he, he'd give you more wins, maybe better ratios, I'm going to side with Singer because I don't think Tyon's going to get the wins with the current Yankee roster and Singer's going to give you more strikeouts. Ah oh, man, yeah, this is this is hard for me because I'm I'm looking at basically predicted uh schedules for the rest of the season. I think talent-wise both are very similar. Um Tyon basically has some soft matchups. He's got potentially the Rays, potentially the Brewers, potentially the, the Rangers. But he's also got, a, you know, a trip to Boston, a trip to Toronto coming up and uh Singer is a little bit better, right? He's got those two Detroit matchups. He gets to face Cleveland. He has a game at Boston. 
I think like all things considered, if you just don't start Tyone for that Toronto start, which is in four weeks, so who knows, you know, what what's actually going to be happening. And your playoffs could be over by then too. Your playoffs could be over there. I like Tyone for like basically the next two, three weeks, I think. So you're going Tyone? It's like sixty forty. Okay. You could you could convince me to go Brady Singer very easily. Yeah, I'm gonna go Brady Singer again as well. I'm gonna side with Sam. I think Sam hit the nail on the head with not only are they very similar, but I also just like Singer's matchups and the strikeout potential a little bit more than Tyone. And I don't know, we've seen a lot of, for some reason, Tyone in his last, what is it? I think his last eight starts, he's had two 2.2 outings. Yeah, it hasn't been pretty. He had yeah, 2.2 2, 2 innings. Four, five, six, seven, eight. So in the last yeah. nine starts, he had a two-inning start and a 2.2 inning start. Right. And it, it's not like... Pat Pullman's. It was the Angels and the Orioles. And the Orioles, so, yeah. That's it's kind yeah. of shocking. I mean, and he did pitch well against the Red Sox and the Mariners. He did well at Seattle. Not when they were at Yankee Stadium. He got shelled by the Mariners. But he pitched well in the last, I would say, two of the last five. So, yeah, I'm going to rock with Singer. I don't know. I, I like Singer a little bit more. I just like what he's been doing this season. Even if he's been getting lucky, what have we learned with Martin Perez? You just ride it and you just take it into the sunset and ride it into a championship. So I'm going Brady <laughs> Singer over Jamison Tyon. Next, we've got our first next year's draft. We'll also do for rest of season. I think these are more obvious for rest of season, but in terms of drafting for next year, would you rather Brady Singer or Logan Gilbert? Sam, I'm pretty sure I already know where you're going with this. I'm going to take Singer here. Well, okay, I had no idea where you were going with this. I changed that completely. <laughs> I don't want to get too down on Logan Gilbert here. But everything that the two of them do, Singer does better. Ooh, He's better okay. at moving walk, and he doesn't get hit as hard. Logan Gilbert is in the bottom 5% of the league in average exit velocity and hard hit percentage, and he allows a higher launch angle than, than Singer does. And he just doesn't, he doesn't even get ground balls. He's only getting ground balls 35% of the time. Uh, you, you look at what uh, Logan Gilbert's underlying numbers are, and it looks like a guy who is getting wrecked. <laughs> that's very fair that's a fair point yeah it's really funny when you look at his metrics on like his player this picture his player page because it's like really average era and whip average k percentage average walk percentage and then you look at his hard contact and ground rate. it's like oh yeah he's like in the bottom of the league in that um and his csw is also pretty is not very good um i'm talking his about Gilbert. it's not very good either yeah, surprisingly, it's only it's 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 above league. Well, the swing and strike rate is above league average, but um, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I like in terms of prospect pedigree, it feels weird to say I'm higher on Logan Gilbert, knowing like that Singer obviously has as good of a prospect pedigree as well. Um, I think if you're going to ask me rest of season, I'm ticking Gilbert, but I think. Yeah, if, you, if I'm drafting for next year, I think I like the potential of Singer a little bit more. I feel like we know what we know about Gilbert at this point. Um, with Singer, there is that possibility that that changeup improves over the offseason, and he actually has a third pitch, whereas with Gilbert, it's kind of like he's so fastball-dependent that it's going to be hard for him to move off that um, and improve his secondaries. So. Because he has to improve like two pitches. Like Gilbert's got to improve his slider and his curveball. 
Singer just has to improve the, the changeup. That's all he needs to do. Exactly. Yeah, his other two pitches are already good. If that changeup comes along just to be serviceable, that he can throw it 15 to 20% of the time, right. I think he can really take a step forward and, and be the kind of guy he's looked like all season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys both make super good points, and you're really making me want to take Brady Singer because I everything <laughs> you just said in the last three seconds. But I'm going to contradict everything, and I'm going to go Logan Gilbert. And the reason why is, like, just look at his last 10 starts. The last 10 starts, even though if his underlying numbers aren't too great, he's gotten a bunch of quality starts, and the only two times he sucked was against the Yankees. He got destroyed at Yankee Stadium and at home in Seattle. So if you just bench him against the Yankees, he's got like a, what, 2.6 ERA this season? I mean, for rest of season, I think their schedules are pretty similar. I think Gilbert's got a slightly tougher schedule, but... I'm going to take Logan Gilbert rest of the season, and I'm going to draft Logan Gilbert before I draft Brady Singer next year. Now, that might bite me in the butt. It might be better value to grab Singer (laughs) later because, as you mentioned, it's probably easier for Singer to expand on his arsenal and just get better with that because Gilbert just has a fastball. But I think Gilbert's fastball is really good, and I think if he can just take that next step, as we always say with these pitchers, because I think Brady Singer will just continuously get better each season, but very minorly he'll tweak some things he'll work on that pitch it'll get better next year better next year better next year but I think Gilbert's one of those guys that if one thing just clicks then he can jump to an elite ace type level and it will take a lot it needs a really big click don't get it twisted because his underlying numbers like you said are horrendous but I really believe in the talent and prospect pedigree of Gilbert over Singer and Singer's no schleb either in that department he's a top prospect as well but I don't know I like Gilbert just a little bit more I think you're right that Gilbert's going to be drafted before Singer next year. Too. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. I think that's without a doubt. And I think I would take him over Singer as well, but I think that might not be the right move, of course. And I also agree, I like Gilbert better for the rest of this season also. Yeah. 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 That's, but for next year, you'll take Singer over Gilbert. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, and then the next one. This one is very close, in my opinion. Brady Singer or George Kirby of the Mariners. Now, this is for next year's draft. You can also say for the rest of the season as well, but for next year's draft, what do you think, Sam? Here, I actually like Kirby better. Okay. The same kind of thing. He still gets hit a little bit hard, but his walk rate is absolutely elite. It's the top 1% of the league. He does a little bit better getting people to chase and getting people to, to swing through things uh, than his teammate does. Uh, I kind of get the two of them confused sometimes because <laughs> they're both rookie pitchers on the same team. Yep. Uh, they're both big right-handed guys too. Uh, but I, I like Kirby a lot. He's got a bit of a better mix. He still relies on the fastball more than 50% of the time. Then he also throws a cutter, a curve, a change, and every now and then a slider. So I, I like guys who can throw that many pitches because there's always something else that you can go to. Yeah, it is it is kind of funny because Kirby's his main thing also this season has been he's known for his fastball, right? So it's like, oh, him and Gilbert are yeah very similar. But yeah, you look at the metrics and it's like he's not getting hit as hard. He has a much more respectable ground ball percentage. Um yeah, the walk, the command is, is clearly there, right? His command is on point. He's literally third in the majors right now in walk rate, which is incredible for a guy who, you know, was just started out in the in the majors this year. I I think I like Kirby a little bit more. I think there's more room to grow for him compared to Singer. But I mean, yeah, I think the I think the thing that wins me over ultimately is that the command is there. And if if he does like it's that's something that if he can basically maintain that next season, like there's, it's a lot easier for him to be much better when he's not giving free passes to guy on the bases. Yeah. 
I agree. I also like Kirby more than Singer. I think that is pretty obvious for next year's draft, in my opinion. I It's kind of close, but I like Kirby just a bit more. I like his arsenal. I like his pitch mix. And like you said, he is a little bit fastball reliant as well. But I like his other stuff. He's already had some developed pitches that can only get better. So I like the direction of Kirby. And also for rest of season, also Kirby. And the reason why, too, is a lot of people play in wins leagues. So, you know, Brady Singer and Gilbert and Kirby all probably provide the same amount, roughly, of quality starts any night they could give you one. But in terms of wins, the Mariners are no question a better team than the Royals. Even with the soft schedule, the Royals are just not good. So if you're telling me rest of season, I also take Kirby and Gilbert over Singer. For next year's draft, I will definitely be selecting Gilbert and Kirby over Singer. So that wraps up the would you rather these pitchers. For Sam, he would rather Brady Singer over Cobb, Tyone, and Gilbert, but would rather George Kirby over Brady Singer. And once again, he'd like Logan Gilbert for the rest of the season this year, as well as George Kirby. But for the next year's draft, he likes Singer more than Gilbert. But Sam, thank you so much for coming onto the show and talking about your article, Brady Singer, Ace or Wild Card. Is there anything you want to plug? Do you have an article coming out soon? I know you don't do Twitter. We already went over it. I didn't want to embarrass myself again. So anything you want to plug, go right ahead. Uh, actually, I'm not sure, but I might be uh, writing about either Kirby or Gilbert next. Oh, awesome. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's great. And did you know that George Kirby can swallow other pitchers whole and then he can throw whatever pitches they throw? Ooh, ooh, suck up to Grom. Suck up to Grom. <laughs> I, I I personally like it when he just down bees and just crushes the opponent. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's just my opinion. Yeah, I like when he dances. I like the dances right, back and forth. We, we need to have like a Chef Kirby sort of moment coming up and, and sometime in the future where he just, you know, throws everyone into a pot and then it just, you know, blows up and he wins the game. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking about writing about either Gilbert or Kirby next? Yeah, I say probably uh, Kirby since he's the one that, that I'm more infatuated with. Yeah, you seem to like him a little bit. So, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing that. But once again, thank you for joining us on the show and we hope you have a great rest of your day. All right. Thanks. And you guys have a good evening as well. Now, let's get into the streamers for the weekend, and we also have some recommendations on bats that you can pick up if you need a hot bat or a replacement for someone because you are heading into the fantasy playoffs, and it's right around that time. Maybe you need to upgrade somewhere and just get someone that's probably available in your leagues. So, John, let us know what the streamers are and the hot bats that we can pick up. Yeah, this might end up being just a long monologue on streaming during the playoffs. Um, (laughs) I spent a while trying to figure out if there was anyone worth streaming on Saturday. Every player just basically had a bunch of red flags. Matt Manning had a pretty mediocre outing last time against the Royals, and he's facing them again on Saturday. Recency bias is what it is in in streaming and in baseball, and I just didn't want to trust that. Adrian Hauser does not seem stretched out at all. He only went 70 pitches in his last game, and the Brewers have been kind of starting him or, you know, bringing him out of the bullpen, stuff like that. So I, I think even though he's going up against the Reds, that could be a bullpen game where he gets pulled after, you know, two, three innings because right. the Brewers just don't want to keep him in that long. And JT Brubaker should just basically not be trusted at this point of the season. He's just, there's no reason to have him on your team. The real fact here, I think, is come playoff time, you either take all the risks, right? You pick up all these guys knowing all the red flags mm-hmm. that they have, hoping that you find at least a few gems within those starts, or you take absolutely zero risk and just hope your starters are enough. Uh, you're in the playoffs for a reason, right? So depending on the league you're in, uh, my home league, for example, is an ESPN league where basically we have a limited number of starts. Um, and so every start does matter. Um, 
in other leagues, like a couple of Yahoo leagues I'm in, there's just an innings minimum that you have to reach. There isn't like an innings maximum. So sometimes it's in your advantage to, you know, pick up all the guys that you can um, just to get, you know, more starts and more counting stats. Um, yeah, so I think that's going to be kind of a league dependent thing, especially in the playoffs. You have to be careful. You can't just put out guys just because you need to stream someone. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of my my thinking. When we look at Sunday's games, for example, Johnny Cueto versus Oakland, Jose Quintana versus Pittsburgh, both are solid matchups. Both are guys that are uh, might be available in your leagues. You know, they're not in that 70 to 80% rostered zone. They're more in that, like, 50 to 60%. So you might be able to find that, especially in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, no one who really qualified for that 20% threshold was really worth it. Um, so I think those are two guys that you can look at. On Monday, though, if you do need a stream, we've already talked about this guy, Hunter Brown of the Astros, 35% rostered at Yahoo, 9% rostered on ESPN. He goes against Detroit. Just a nice matchup for the kid. Ironically, the day with the smallest slate provides us with the easy stream pickup. The ESPN crowd must be sleeping on prospects because, my goodness, right? Hunter Brown, I think, should be picked up at least for this start for sure. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think in general, I just don't think ESPN leagues are active at all. I feel like people draft on ESPN and do that. Like there are a few leagues like your home league and stuff that are dedicated to the ESPN platform and you play your season throughout. And I think there's honestly 10% of leagues that are active because Hunter Brown should be rostered for this next start. And just perpetually, if you look across the board from everyone we mentioned, their ESPN roster rate is like significantly lower than the Yahoo. I just think Yahoo is more of a platform that people play on nowadays. It's either mm-hmm. that or you play Dynasty on like fan tracks or something. So right. I yeah. think ESPN is just not a dead platform because I don't want to burn any bridges there or anything. But I feel like it's <laughs> not as popular or at least it falls off a lot midway through the season where people stop paying attention to it. So that's yeah. why you mm-hmm. see all these hot new prospects and top call-ups and all the, you know, the hot bats that are on the wire. They don't get picked up because I feel like halfway through the season, people tune out of the ESPN leagues. But right. Hunter Brown, I completely agree. That's the best stream option for Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And he fits the criteria. So if Hunter Brown's out there against the Tigers, we mentioned Jose Suarez against the Tigers, and he was dominant. I really like Hunter Brown. I think he's going to be good. His control is a little bit of a question, and it's a risk. But overall, I think Hunter Brown's a great pick. And just to add what you were saying, yeah, you're either all in or you're out completely on streaming during the playoffs. In my league, for instance, which is a home league on Yahoo, it's a 10-team, and you have an innings minimum where you have to Mm -hmm. pitch 28 innings, otherwise you sacrifice all your stats. There's a legitimate strategy where if you have, let's say, four relievers for saves plus holds, and your opponent has two or three, and you just stream everybody. There's only five pickups per week, but... You just stream everybody Mm -hmm. and you hope to win K's, quality starts, and saves plus holds, and you punt ERA and whip. It's a valid strategy in the playoffs if you only need to win five points. Mm -hmm. So you're either all in or you're all out, and John made up a really good point there for that. So make sure you know where you are on which side of the fence when you head into your playoffs. Yeah. And then looking at some batters, I'll be honest, I completely just took these from Ben Pernick's buy and sell article, so definitely check that out on a pitch list. Uh, But catcher is kind of an interesting situation especially in the playoffs if you don't have one of those top guys or maybe you had Wilson Contreras who just went on IL definitely consider picking up Cal Raleigh uh he leads catcher in homers he is tied with Dalton Varsho who does have catcher eligibility in ESPN and Yahoo leagues I believe um yeah Raleigh is super hot right now he's had four homers in five games of September uh you know it's not going to be like that for the rest of the season obviously but 
if he can do that, just imagine what he can do in a week for your fantasy team. So I think Cal Raleigh is definitely a, a guy you need to be picking up right now if you have if you don't trust who you have at catcher. And then for a little bit more uh, speculative pickup, Tristan Cassis, uh, he's a he's a prospect with the Red Sox. He just got called up last week. Um, he's got some power and some average, uh, pretty solid tools there. He's got really good play discipline, actually, in the minors. His walk and strikeout rates are, are kind of hilarious to look at. Um, but it's been tough for him in the majors. He does have six strikeouts in four games so far. Very small sample size, obviously. He is getting adjusted to major league pitching, but it does look like that discipline kind of needs to be, you know, kind of he needs to settle down a little bit before he's he's ready to go in the majors. But if you miss the prospect out on Cutter Henderson or Corbin Carroll, Cassis might be a solid consolation prize. I don't really see a reason for the Red Sox to send him down after, you know, bringing him up for September call-ups. I think they're going to give him all the opportunity to get acclimated to the majors. Um, he does have first and third base eligibility, depending on what platform you're on. Um, so he might be kind of a valuable slot if, if he has third base eligibility in the leagues that you're in. Yeah, I love the Cal Rally pick because he's someone that is helping me a lot in TGFBI right now. I was able to grab him ages ago. It's a 15-team league on NFBC. And if you don't know, Cal Raleigh actually has a 95th percentile barrel percentage and 94th percentile max exit velocity. So this guy isn't just like flukingly hitting 23 homers. He Mm -hmm. is smacking them. He is barreling up the ball great. And he's also pretty good defensively with a Mm -hmm. 72nd percentile in framing. So he's been playing for the Mariners. The Mariners have been hot and he's hitting the ball hard and well. So Cal is definitely the guy you want to grab if you need a catcher, and if a catcher spot is something that you lack in, if you don't have a Alejandro Kirk or a Will Smith, Cal Raleigh is doing what those guys are doing. So pick him up and use him. And then Tristan Casas, as long as he gets playing time, he can make an impact for your team. Yeah, I, Casas actually is kind of interesting because he was a guy that middle of the season, you know, like May, April, when when you were looking at like, oh, guys who get who get who could get called up to help your team. Yep. Cassis was one of those guys because he does have really, really good play discipline. Could get on base, uh, can hit for power. Um, you know, he, I think he has like 20 homer potential or something like that. Um, well, obviously, he's a prospect. It's September. You're going to get what you get. Um, he does have a homer in the majors, so you know he can hit major league pitching at least. Um, but we'll see if that ends up working out for the rest of the month. Definitely. But those are the recommendations for streamers and hitters to pick up for this upcoming week. But that'll wrap up this entire podcast. It was a little bit of a long one, but hopefully it was packed full of information that you can use and is helpful to all of you. We had to catch everything up in the week. We had a debate about Bo Bichette and Kyle Tucker. We talked about the streamers for the weekend, some pickups. We had a great interview. Lots of stuff in this episode, so hopefully you all enjoyed it. And if you did, please follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email, thisweekplpod at gmail.com. You can also find John at the John Ka on Twitter. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. Make sure you follow him. And you can follow myself on Twitter at Regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. Also, subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed and follow this podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcast on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else. Make sure you drop us a follow or subscribe to us and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will see you all next week to recap another week in fantasy baseball. For John, I am Lee. 
We'll see you all in the next one. Later, everyone.